Hi, this is State Delegate Janelle Wilkins from District 20 in Montgomery County, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the best source of news and notes on Maryland politics and policy. The Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Dominic Butchko and Brianna January, both of whom are my colleagues on the Mako policy team. And today we're going to do a quick podcast to highlight Mako's 2024 legislative initiatives. We'll dive deeper into each initiative in the weeks ahead. But today we want to do a quick walkthrough of Mako's top four priorities for the 2024 legislative session. Now, of course, these are not the only important issues for counties as we look ahead to the 2024 session. We will advocate on hundreds of bills, but these are the core four. And we do get this question a lot. What's the process for selecting these four initiatives? Each year, MAKO adopts a slate of top legislative initiatives, and it typically represents the wide swath of services county delivered to Maryland residents. Our initiative subcommittee meets through the summer to refine and focus a a list of dozens of proposed initiatives into no more than four as required by the association's bylaws. The slate is then presented to the legislative committee, which contains elected officials from each county and Baltimore city. The legislative committee then adopts the core four for the 2024 session and for every session. So with that, here's what you've been waiting for. In the 2024 legislative session, MAKO will prioritize fiscal transparency, modernizing local revenue structures, new incentives to bolster firefighter and EMS recruitment and retention, and collaborative solutions for addressing Maryland's affordable housing and workforce housing shortage. So I mentioned that we have Dom and Brianna here. Dominic, I'm gonna set you up here. Let's talk about forward-thinking firefighter and EMS incentives. This one may sound familiar to Conduit Street Podcast listeners because this is a follow-up initiative, right, Dom? Yeah, so in 2023, our legislative committee said that we see firefighter recruitment and retention as a priority. And this is, for everyone's background, this is both career and volunteer, so really all aspects of fire and EMS as well. Um, We put together a bill for the 2023 session that formed a commission, the Commission to Advance and Strengthen Firefighter and EMS Retention and Recruitment in Maryland. Oh my God, is that a mouthful and also a terrible acronym. Um, But that commission is wrapping up its work. And so we have a bunch of recommendations coming from them. And we're going to potentially have some legislation to help do some work for our folks in in red. And so highlights from that report that I can share from you. um, There's going to be three key areas education, healthcare, and childcare. And then we're also going to have a revenue component. We would like our legislation to hopefully be, you know, relatively neutral to to DLS and not have too much heartburn. And then we only gave the commission so many months to look. And so we have a pretty robust section on areas to further explore. So there's a lot in this um, to continue the work. What I will say, I want to tease our listeners a little bit. We are partnering with community colleges and we're going to have some exciting news to announce in the next couple of months. So stay tuned, but a lot of cool stuff happening with firefighters. Definitely. And I know you've been doing a lot of work with that work group, Dom, and this is an issue, right? We're talking about recruitment and retention. This is an issue across the country for both career and volunteer. Certainly we see it in every single county across the state. So this one is super important. We have folks riding on fire trucks that are like 80 years old, So we need to make sure we can recruit and retain younger folks. And that's the whole idea here, right, Dom? 
A hundred percent. You know, one of the things that makes you know Maryland so great, when you call 911, you have a certain expectation of service and that you're going to be have your needs met in a certain amount of time. I mean, that's how we have a stable society. And this entire package, this program, the past few, I guess it's almost two years now of work has been making sure that Maryland can still meet that standard and keep everyone who calls this great state home safe. And so this is really rewarding work and, and we're going to see it through. I'm excited to see the recommendations and then for those recommendations to turn into a bill. And of course, that will be on the slate of MAKO's initiatives, advancing those recommendations and making sure that we can recruit and retain firefighters, both career and volunteer across the state. Brianna, I'm going to turn to you for the next one. Education, transparency, education spending, transparency. The blueprint for Maryland's future phase-in has an advanced interest for more transparent reporting of sources, usage, and outcomes from education investments. We also know that federal relief and rescue funding has compounded the concern of spending without public clarity. So, Brianna, let's talk about MAKO's push for more transparency in education spending, what it is and what it isn't. Absolutely, Kevin. It's quickly becoming one of my absolutely favorite topics to discuss. And I, I do like to, to preface these conversations for everyone, including our listeners today, by, by saying that counties are in no way um, looking for line item control of school budgets or, or even to adjust blueprint responsibilities with this initiative. So just to get that out of the way, um, everyone can breathe a deep sigh of relief. Uh, but but instead, Kevin, and and it might sound a little too simple, but sincerely, all that we're looking for here is a fuller and more complete picture so that we can responsibly resource the blueprint and make it work. Um, I, I do want to provide our listeners with a little bit of background on how we we landed here. Many of our folks will, will know and um, will recognize that for really a long time now, funding in education in particular has just kind of gone into a black box. County governments, we send our share to the school systems. We don't completely know how it's used, especially when it's combined with state aid and federal aid. And then, as you mentioned, Kevin, the last few years during the pandemic, it was really exacerbated with COVID relief and just an influx of aid coming from multiple directions. And then we also frequently hear that it's it's a rather universal experience that we see throughout different points in the school year and the budgeting cycle that, you know, large buckets of funds are shifted between categories and uses. And um, so there's just a lot of vague, um, vague misunderstanding and where education funding is going, where it's being spent and what the gaps really are and the needs. Um, and, and that's really of concern for county governments because it, for pretty much all 24 counties, um, education spending does make up the bulk of our budgets, right? So a few years ago, this really started out as, I like to call a whisper from a few counties. Um, but over the last year or so with with the ending of pandemic aid, um, it's really turned into a pretty universal problem for, for all 24, regardless of location, of size, big, small counties, rural, urban. They're all having a similar um, concern here. And so my point in providing that background is really just that like everything involving education funding, it's all very complicated. Um, and we're talking about a lot of taxpayer money here. So, you know, for, for years, we've had that trickle of members telling us that um, we don't have the full picture and we need it to really responsibly budget and prepare. And so um, that brings us to today where 
it makes it difficult for county governments to do their jobs, to be good stewards of taxpayer money, and to also do the right thing and responsibly fund education, especially with the huge ramp up in resources um, as we implement the blueprint for Maryland's future. So this initiative, um, we don't have details available yet. I'm sure that we will update our listeners when when they are ready. Um, but what we're going to look at is really just a few common sense ways that will get us a little bit closer to having that full picture and really ultimately to, to better serving Maryland students. Um, so I'm really excited about this. We've had a lot of very um, positive and welcoming conversations with a variety of stakeholders and leaders in Annapolis. And, you know, I think that I think the time's right. We're we're at a point in blueprint implementation where we're going to start to really ramp up our funding. And it makes sense for everyone, um, for all stakeholders, the state, the, the local education agencies and for county governments to be on the same page about where our resources are going. And with that, also where the gaps are, where we can maybe help fill some of the needs. Um, so that's that's what's coming out of education. Yeah, right on, Brianna. I think that's a great walkthrough. And, you know, the, the main thing you said there is accountability. And if I'm in a local elected official, and you also said, which is true, the, the bulk of county budgets goes toward education spending. And Maryland is somewhat unique there where county governments provide money for education. Local school boards in Maryland do not have revenue authority, so they rely on the state and, and counties for that funding. And if I'm an elected official and a constituent comes to me and asks, hey, you know, I know that the blueprint number is going up, up, up. We need to support our kids in schools. Can you tell me how that taxpayer money is being spent? where it's going. And as an elected official right now, locally, you just have to kind of put your hands up because you don't really know. And Brianna, my understanding is that right now, local school boards can, if they want to, provide sort of buckets, right, of general ideas of where the money's going. But there is not really a breakdown. And particularly when it comes to the blueprint and all this extra funding, I think it makes perfect sense that there is more transparency and accountability there, especially because if you look at county government's budgets, you can see exactly where the money is, what it's being spent toward, and where the investments are going in counties. So I think it makes a ton of sense since we're talking about so much public taxpayer money that there's the same kind of accountability for constituents so that everybody understands exactly what's going on here when we are funding the blueprint, which is generational. It's hundreds and hundreds of millions and even billions of dollars, and we need to know. So I think that's great, Brianna. And any any closing thoughts on this one? I know you're working closely with a lot of stakeholders, including the teachers union, the school boards, uh, the, the State Department of Education. You've had conversations with everyone. Um, anything else you want to add before we move on to the next one? No, I think that that sums it up pretty well. Um, you know, this is this is going to be a, a very landmark legislative session for, for county governments um, as we work on this issue. And I think that we'll find that perhaps it becomes, um, as you just noted, Kevin, that, you know, the blueprint is a generational, um, a generational reform. And I think that we'll find that more transparency is, is always better. And this might end up being something that um, maybe bleeds into other areas and becomes really a landmark uh initiative for us, as well as just for transparency and how we fund our schools. Certainly looking forward to it. I think it's the right policy move. And again, look forward to more information in the weeks ahead. Dom, I'm going to come back to you for the next initiative. So we're on initiative three of four here. And the third initiative is to advance comprehensive housing solutions. 
we know that affordable housing is a problem, not just here, but across the country. So Dom, talk about this one and what MAKO wants to do here to help advance this issue for all Marylanders and across the state. Yeah, so housing, um, really, really big word. It's not only kind of the word of the year or the the next five years, but probably the word of the decade. Um, really big issue. Background for our listeners, and they should know all this already, but housing has been really big for quite a long time now. I mean, people say going back all the way to the 2008 Great Recession, but we know if you look at the production numbers and some of the other issues, it goes back even further than that. Today, you know, fast forward, we have a lot of issues with interest interest rates. I actually think I saw reporting this morning that they're over 8%. That is just hampering production. Uh, we also have issues with labor, labor and materials. And so the cost of that has been going up since the pandemic. Interest rates aren't helping with that. But those two issues alone, that's not the whole picture with what's going on with housing. It's 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 a lot. Um, and so for our listeners should also be familiar too that MAKO has been and counties have been really at the forefront of this for a while now. Last year, we did our housing symposium. And so we brought all stakeholders together. Um, we also were rather aggressive in the housing legislative space. And so this is really just a continuation of that effort. Counties take housing seriously. And so a couple of things. First and foremost, I want to take a minute and give a shout out to the folks at DHCD and Secretary Day. Um, they have been engaging with MAKO and, and MML has been there too, uh, rather intensely for the past several months now on you know what housing legislation should look like, what should be potentially in a governor's housing package. And so while those conversations are ongoing and MAKO is engaging in conversations with other stakeholders, what I can give you is a primer of what we think the big subject areas are going to be. And so four main areas that we've identified that we know we're going to see that MAKO is going to be engaged in first and foremost foremost, community reinvestment. And so this is looking at those areas that might be blighted, might be former industrial places that, you know, really have good bones, but need to be brought back up. And so directing investment and having tools to do that, uh, getting better data, uh, getting better data, not only for the state and for the public, but for counties so that our members can make better, more holistic decisions around what's going on. A big thing, Maryland did a housing needs assessment in 2020. For those of you who are sleeping under a rock, that's when COVID was happening. And so that housing assessment wasn't as comprehensive as it could have been. And so we've definitely been engaging with a number of folks on getting better data, not only through a housing assessment, but through other means. Um, next, development and financing. We were just talking about interest rates. That's probably the biggest thing that's holding back production right now. Take everything else aside. We have so many projects in the housing uh, production pipeline right now that just can't get financing to make the numbers work. And so I anticipate we're going to be rather aggressive in trying to get new tools or what could we do and what adjustments can we make to try to unlock some of these projects from the pipeline. And then finally, permitting. Uh, permitting both at the state level and at the county level. We know nationally permitting has been a really big part of the conversation. Um, we're, you know, a holistic view at what our processes are, what could we, we be doing better, what can we reinvest in, etc. Um, a couple of highlights from this. We know that, you know, in some of our jurisdictions, they're still operating with paper. It's 2023, almost 2024. We should really work to get them upgraded to digital. Um, another thing is environmental 
environmental health. And long-term listeners should, you know, know this term, the environmental health folks, they have two jobs. They inspect your restaurants and they inspect your sewer and septic systems. We know staffing for environmental health is at a critical level. So really directing resources there so that we can get more projects going would be really big. And there's a number of other things that we can do too, but those are probably the four biggest areas that we're going to see action on in this coming session. And, you know, I, I'm excited. I cannot wait. Like firefighters and housing, I, I'm like a kid on Christmas. And I, you are, Dom. For our listeners, he really is. He's just tiptoeing around. He's so excited um, for the session. So, but, but Dom, this is a huge issue. There are a lot of stakeholders involved here. It won't just be MAKO, of course. There will be, I'm sure, multiple bills. The administration may have an approach. The General Assembly may have their own approach. I think MAKO really wants to thread the needle here and try and be proactive and provide solutions for legislators that they can look at as they head into session and and try to chip away at this. I don't think there's any one approach that will solve this problem, but there are several approaches that can help alleviate some of the issue here. So hopefully we can advance some really uh, strong solutions in the next session. But this is an issue I think that's going to be around for years and years and years and forever always going to be a problem when you talk about affordability and housing and getting housing for workforce that that's that's an issue and it's an issue in every single county so it makes a lot of sense for Mako to take the lead here and try to to advance this and to put it at the top of our list in terms of initiatives so Dom excited to work on this one I know you've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes for multiple years now preparing for this anything else you want to close with on this one before we move on so I just want our listeners to walk away with somewhat of an appreciation that housing is unlike any other issue. What it overlaps with, what it impacts, this is truly massive. And we are going to be in all facets of it. We want to be honest stakeholders. We are here to play and we're here to make the situation better. So for anyone who's listening, who is going to play in this arena, feel free to reach out. Um, we are eager to engage. All right, that sounds good. And we will move on to the fourth initiative. I am the lead on this fourth initiative, so I can talk about it. And this is modernizing local revenue structures. So Maryland, in, in Mako's point of view, needs to take a look at revenue structures for counties. Right now, our main sources of revenue are the property tax and the local income tax. The property tax, obviously, highly regressive. No county wants to go there to raise revenue. The income tax, the local income tax, there is a cap. Half of counties are at that cap, so they can't go any higher. And also, I want to talk about income tax for a second. In 2021, the General Assembly passed a bill that MAKO supported to give counties flexibility to impose the income tax on a bracket basis, just like the state and the federal government does. And, and of course, the idea there is to shift the burden away from people with less resources to pay and maybe toward folks that have more. And, and so that's the idea of these graduated rates. The General Assembly authorized that. However, only two counties have been able to do it so far without losing revenue. And that's because, again, we have so many counties that are at that top cap of 3.2% that in order to provide relief at the bottom, you have to be able to, to wiggle at the top. So counties haven't been able to do that without losing revenue. And obviously, uh, when we talk about things like housing and the blueprint, 
public safety, all of these top line budget items are super important. So no county wants to give up revenue, but they would like to, you know, maybe make the, the tax system more progressive. And we'd love to have that as an option. So we need some wiggle room with the local income tax rate to make that happen. Also talking about revenues, I think modernizing some of our revenue structures makes a ton of sense. Over the years, a lot of products have moved from you go to a store to buy them. to now you buy them digitally. The state took on a big effort a few years ago to capture revenue uh, for things like Netflix, online music. Not sure that's the approach that we're looking here to, to take here, but I do think there are several areas where we need to take a look and modernize our revenue structures and actually make sure that we're collecting on revenue, the things that we're supposed to be collecting revenue for. So a big initiative, this is probably looking at multiple different bills. The Maryland Municipal League they are also interested in local revenues. I think they've made that one of their priorities as well. So looking forward to working with them, but really here, we're looking for more flexibility. We're looking to be able to provide residents with more relief and to, to spread out the tax burden, but also to make sure that we do have the resources we need to fund very, very important things like the blueprint moving forward. We've had several counties who had a much higher blueprint than in, number than anticipated, and they had to actually go into reserves to, to fund their blueprint number. We've seen counties attempting to raise property tax rates because of the blueprint. And I think this is all coming to a head where counties want, as Brianna said earlier, to do the right thing and to fund the blueprint, to fund their fair share. But we do need help because our revenue structures are not necessarily getting the job done in terms of bringing in that revenue so that we can do all these things. And of course, other important things like collecting the trash, paving the roads, all of those things that counties do each and every day. So that's the fourth initiative. We've run through them. Uh, I think we did a pretty high level, a pretty good high level job of, of kind of preparing folks for what they're going to see from MAKO. Again, we will walk through all of these more in depth on a series of podcasts in the weeks ahead where we'll break down the initiative uh, for our listeners more broadly. Uh, but Dom and Brianna, again, thank you so much for, for joining me today to talk about this. Do either one of you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up here today? Just that session is coming very quickly. I cannot believe that we are this close. Yeah, it's going to be wild. <laughs> Buckle up. Yes. And of course, between now and then, we have the Make a Winter Conference, December 6th through the 8th. That's in Cambridge. We'll link some information on the show notes so that people can figure out how to get signed up for that. We're going to be talking about these initiatives, of course, and a lot more really good content coming together for that conference. I'm excited about it. And before we sign off today, I do want to mention one more thing. Operation Greenlight is back, and we want to send a shout out to the incredible veterans and service members. We appreciate your dedication and sacrifice. So we ask everyone to join us as we encourage counties, businesses, and residents to illuminate their buildings and homes with green lights during the week of November 6th through the 12th to show support for our veterans. More information on this initiative is available on the Conduit Street blog, and we will provide information in the show notes as well. We're going to go ahead and leave it there for today. If you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, you should be reading the Conduit Street blog. But for Brianna January and Dominic Butchko, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon.